The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Wrighton, and welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today, I've got two guests to talk to you all about the benefits of exercise for those of us whose brains are a little bit different. David Geslack is an author, speaker, trainer, and the founder of The Exercise Connection. And Ben Boudreau is an autism self-advocate and a researcher. So David and Ben, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Dr. Reichman. We are, I am honored to be on your show. I know you're doing a lot of great things and I'm just excited to share both my story and even Ben and my story now. It's awesome. All right. And thank you for having us. Well, it's my pleasure, and you guys are really in the front lines, and I just, I'm not a real professional like you guys in this neurodiversity world. Um, You know, tell us first of all, each of you briefly, um, how you got into this exercise and brains thing. I've been working accidentally um, by pure accident, but maybe serendipitously with those with autism since 2004. Uh, I have a background from the University of Iowa in in health promotion, and I'm an exercise physiologist and strength conditioning specialist. And after I left uh, my undergraduate program at Iowa, where I was also an intern and a student assistant strength and conditioning coach for their football team, I started a gym outside of Chicago that was always meant for kids. Um, but just to keep the doors open, I had to train both athletes and adults. And back in 2004, at what I was thinking is I was going to work, not that this has changed, but work with kids who may be overweight or obese. And a dad, though, I was training, brought me his son who was on the spectrum and as many people know, back then it was one in 150 diagnosed. And other than really knowing, uh, heard of autism, I really had no background in it. So um, the long story short is the dad said, can you help him um, with sports? But he also, he can't skip. And you may know, or the audience may know that a neurotypical child that is shown better to skip there's research to show that they can read better. So I was more intrigued in that. And I was able to get this boy to skip in four sessions when they had been trying for years. So that he was ear to ear smile. His mom was crying. His dad was, they were all ecstatic. And not only did I help impact their lives, but that changed my life and my career path. So to really keep a long story short, um, I then went on, I did that for a number of years, but then went on to be a paraeducator at a school for children with autism. And then they knew my background and they asked me to start their fitness program, which I did from kindergarten all the way to transition age students. And then eventually did that for a number of years and eventually left to go educate parents about the difference between autism and exercise, or excuse me, the difference between exercise and physical activity physical education, adapted physical education and therapy, and uh, now have been to seven countries and traveled across the country to do so. 
Well, until just now, I was completely ignorant of the skipping. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you taught me that today. Um, one of the big things that is all coming together is the what I call the triangle of exercise with good nutrition, with socialization, and all of those coming together and how sports and working out can give you all three of them. So that's a great start. We've already, we're already learning a lot from you. Now you're up, Ben. Well, I have a interesting background. So I was actually diagnosed with autism back in eighth grade, but I originally was evaluated in third grade, but it was misdiagnosed. But pretty much over the years, you know, I was taught about, you know, trying to get learned how to do social skills, but I was not really like I was pretty much a social outcast, I'd say, because, you know, I didn't get along with friends, you know, my peers basically in high school. And then eventually I went, you know, I was uh, brought to the attention of, okay, maybe you should exercise. Well, still I refused to do so. But then eventually towards college, I had a falling out with a program. And then I eventually, my mom had introduced me to exercise. And then pretty much since then, I've noticed it helps relieve a lot of my symptoms. So I'm less stressed, less anxious. I'm actually sleeping better because I rely on different medications to sleep or even just, you know, interacting with other people like, you know, now is that, you know, I feel much more sociable, able to have interaction with with people. I can understand certain things, but I still have every so often missed cues. But at the same time, I'm really, you know, now fortunate that I'm working more in research of an area of like physical activity measurement. So like using Apple watches, Fitbits, or even research grade monitors. But then also I feel like, you know, Besides just having that research, I need to have the importance that, you know, bringing this importance of uh, advocating the importance of exercise, but also just physical activity beyond, you know, because when we think exercise, it's just it's at that specific time and it's standardized, whereas physical activity is usually outside is like, you know, can they people with autism, like if different strategies, you can get them to be more active beyond, you know, these intervention periods just to make them more you know, different behaviors, meet guidelines, and so forth. It's great if you can get the exercise to also take care of a lot of the socialization, or at least catalyze it, and good habits such as nutrition, which all of which rewire your brain very significantly. Um, What do you guys do to get the autistic individual turned on to exercise? Well, I think that's the uh, million dollar question, especially I've gotten over the years from families and parents. But I think, Dr. Reitman, if I can share also how Ben and I connected, because I think it's a really important piece of, of our of what we also want to talk about. But On one condition, if you call me hacky. Hacky? Okay. <laughs> hacky. Done. Um, So I I was presenting at ACSM's, uh, the American College of Sports Medicine, me and a group created their first autism and exercise symposium. After the symposium, Ben walks up to me and he goes, hi, my name's Ben. Uh, I'm I'm a doctoral candidate or at University of Georgia. And he goes, and I have autism. And my mouth just kind of dropped. And I was just like, 
I had so many questions and I did ask him a lot of questions then, but we stayed in contact um, because I think now to kind of go to your question, while I've been for years, obviously advocating for exercise and educating about what exercise can be for this community, I knew stories. I had seen them or I'd worked with individuals who were nonverbal, meaning they couldn't tell me what they were experiencing in the schools or the lack of exercise they were getting. But Ben was, you know, I say this and not to be patronizing, but like, you know, courageous enough, not only to share with me, but then we wrote a huge article about it, about his experience. And I think um, it's just, so when I was able to ask Ben about the difference between cardiovascular fitness and resistance training and what it, what he feels like from the sensory perspective, the proprioceptive, like, I just want to know, you know, and these are kids where I've worked with kids who were younger, nonverbal, obviously one, many would be perceived, you know, on the low end of the spectrum. Um, but, you know, they couldn't tell me, but to have Ben's feedback, I think is just incredible, but what it can do. And, 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 and I'm just constantly asking questions because if that can help me educate other professionals and other individuals, I think it, it's it's just important for how however this research and exercise and autism advances. I think that the interplay between the brain and the body, and of course everything is showing now. What's good for the brain is good for your body, mm -hmm. um, uh, and you guys are the epitome of it in what you're exhibiting and what you're researching and what you're doing for those of us whose brains are a little bit different. It, and I think, Hecky, what you mentioned early on is you talked about sports. And I think this is one thing that I've shared over the years and where Bren's story backs it up, but is typically parents or professionals think that those or that exercise and physical activity is done through sport, right? Which is true. And for some, it can be, right? Some For some kids or adults, it's the motivator. Or the reinforcement. But what I have found is that a lot of the individuals I've worked with over the years, they don't want to be athletes. They don't like to play sports. They want to be comic book artists. They want to, you know, play the piano. They, they have their own, their own reinforcement or really what they want to do. But what I try to advocate and educate them is, hey, being uh, more active, it could help your brain. It can make you a faster um, you know, piano player, maybe it could make you draw better, but we got to stay active. But the reason that I also share this is because this is not all, but many of the physical education or adapted physical education programs in the country are driven around sports, which all makes sense and which is great, right? But the problem is sports involves two of the most challenging things for those with autism, social skills and communication. So for many kids, you're putting them, you're setting them up for failure when you put them in there. And this is what I think happens to this day for some. What are the biggest challenges that um, you both face in doing what you do? Mm, I'd say from my end, it's just initially it was like just the awareness of it. Like many people didn't have an understanding of uh, what what is autism? Like it used to be in three camps 
And then the DSM usually merged it now together. So people think when you think autism, it used to be, well, now when you, it's just a label of autism, you hear, well, Rain Man now. Well, not always. It could be an Einstein level. So it's kind of confusing. But I think, you know, the mental health, it used to be a problem. But I'm starting to notice over time, the awareness of it is getting way better than what it used to be. Because sometimes people were like, well, you know, just he's weird or something like that. And then just forget about it. But then there's still some components that I think uh, the knowledge of that this population is important and it comprises of a good bit of people. And, you know, I think, you know, they need to be more active. And why do we need to get more research studies doing this? We can't just look at physical activity. We got to also look at their sitting behaviors. We also got to look at, you know, how much time they're interacting, maybe screen time or even, you know, sleep. That's another thing is just these behaviors is, you know, just having an understanding as well, besides just, you know, Hey, exercise is important, but then that's from my angle is the behavioral element. But I know I'm not sure David can speak from the fitness level on that side of the angle. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just to answer like also Hecky, your questions on one of the biggest challenges. I mean, we've, We've definitely have continuously have challenges of, of education or educating parents or professionals about what exercise is and how it can be done, right? And not just in a traditional exercise setting, but even a therapeutic setting. Um, but I think more so the biggest challenge, which is why I continue to do or you know what I'm doing is is the challenges that the individuals face on the spectrum or or related disabilities or disabilities at all is you know, even though it's IDEA law that requires physical education as a service, most parents aren't, don't realize that. And with the schools removing it or putting physical activity at the bottom of the totem pole, these, the, the kids are challenged, right? They're not getting that activity that goes way beyond the health-related benefits. So that's why I and Ben, I know, and we're speaking, we're talking about this because we want to educate parents. We, you know, we'd like to educate administration or schools and, but it's a, I think it's a system problem and a challenge that by law, right. They should be getting it, but that's not always the case. Right. And then plus the, like what, you know, what I'm basically teaching right now in my classes with my students is what's the recommended physical activity guidelines for a child is basically, Anyone at the age of under 17 has got to be getting 60 minutes of a moderate to vigorous uh, physical activity. And then they also have to spend three of those days at a vigorous intensity. So, you know, and then when you speak someone with the autism, it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like that's going to have to, you know, there's going to have to be some type of modification towards that because then, you know, not, you know, think PE, some some classes might be 30 minutes and then, oh, wait, you got recess. Some recesses might be 10 minutes. Some might be only 20 minutes. So it just differentiates from district to district or wherever. And that's, you know, how do they get 60 minutes beyond, you know, those type structurized settings is always, you know, an interesting thing of what the parents have to do in that case. Tell us about uh, now have um, uh, who's written a book. I have written a book. <laughs> okay, tell us uh, all I, published about a, I published a research study. <laughs> okay. Well, now, first, we're going to hear all about the book. Do you have a copy you can hold up for our camera? Actually, I do. Um, hold it up there. Good. So I wrote 
what's called the Autism Fitness Handbook. It's published by, I don't know if the name changed, but Jessica Kingsley Publishers, so one of the largest autism-specific publishers. And that book was really geared to educating families. That's after I got out of the schools, uh, teaching at this, the therapeutic day school, that was my my mission, right, to, to help educate families. So we've got over, I think, 40 different exercises, simple how-tos and, and exercises that also involve not a lot of equipment or limited to none because I wanted parents that, or the novice exercise professional to say, hey, it, you don't, you can teach exercise or you can be potentially next to your child and try to do some of these exercises that can benefit them and quite frankly, can benefit you. But to share stories of success that we've had with clients, I do in here and the breakdowns of exercises. Um, that's, yeah, that's why I wrote the book. That's great. That's great. And the name of the book is? Is the Autism Fitness Handbook. And there's a notable um, person, a neurodiverse person, Stephen Shore. Um, oh. he, he wrote the foreword for it. I, I, I spent he's some time. Terrific. To, Stephen oh, he's terrific. terrific. Yeah, we, we spent some time having lunch in Dubai or breakfast in Dubai for a number of, we were at a presentation and then we just connected and I asked him to write it and he did. And yeah, Stephen's a great guy. Yeah, we've interviewed him a few times. I actually got to be on the same, you know, podium with him speaking a couple of times. He's he's great. He's just terrific. Yeah. Ben, um, you're up. Well, I've done a few research studies that have been published. I know I don't know if David wants to get the the one we wrote that he has hanging up. <laughs> on, uh, well, let's see it. I think we must. Yeah, I think this is something that, you know, I think it relates more than anything else because it'll give more people an idea of what we, wow. why do we care? And we managed to score the cover, the, uh, it was the cover story last May and June. How yeah. great is that? So it was last year, and then, but I also do a lot of work, like I did uh, during my master's thesis. But I can send it to you. Is uh, we looked at how accurate like these wearable devices are, you know, during different exercises because you know it's kind of weird. As I always tell people, I'm socially disconnected with people, but then I work in an area that socially brings everyone together with technology. So it's kind of weird to see that, but. You know, we're looking at how accurate these devices are, but then I slowly migrated towards different things of like looking at, you know, what it's like, for instance, right now for my dissertation, I'm looking at is, you know, what is the 24 hour behaviors like for a college student? Like how much time are they sleeping? How much time are they physically active? Are they sitting a lot? And then also bring in maybe their cell phone time and how is it all intertwined or even their mental health? So it's kind of weird, like, and this is all with different measures, but just, you know, it's kind of we're bringing this in together and then, you know, saying that, hey, this is I'm about to get my PhD is kind of, you know, it's it's a humbling experience. But it's also like how in the world, like if I you told me 10 years ago, just finishing high school, my first year of college, and you tell me where I am right now, I'd be like, I've been laughing at your face saying that's no way. Ever <laughs> it's a lot to admire in your journey, for sure. Uh, in case it's of any help. Um, something I recommend to our uh, terrific 18 and older year old neurodivergent interns here is 
to do what I do. Um, and one of the best gifts I got was from Gretchen. And she gave me a stationary bike with a desk. <laughs> okay. And when I'm watching TV or doing different stuff or working on my computer, I'm just gently pedaling along, you know, and before you know it, my step counter is getting up there. And it makes me feel less guilty when I watch our favorite TV show or something. And again, yep. it's just that movement. Just keep moving. Yeah. And that's what I always tell people is that, you know, you need to, you know, sit, even though I'm sitting right down right now, but still it's, uh, you know, sitting is the new smoking. And how do you, you know, it's this behavioral is that where can we go from here? Is that, is there maybe a step recommendation of counts? Well, right now, not yet, but later on. And then also, you know, with this population with autism, they love visual aids. So the other thing, if you think of it, well, all these fitness trackers tend to have visual aids of giving you steps or rings or everything else. So it actually can give you another uh, adherence of like, oh, wait, now I can see exactly what I'm doing. And maybe they can have an understanding of what they're actually seeing, that they're actually accomplishing something. It's great. Yeah. And to what you were saying about just pedaling the bike, I think this is one thing that now is supported in research, but that I was always saying is just look, we just need to get these kids moving or the adults, right? And there's a research study done out of Rutgers in 2017, and they found that low to moderate intensity exercise was able to reduce stereotypical behaviors for the following 60 minutes for those on the spectrum. Now, I, don't, I know we can talk about the stereotypical behaviors. Sometimes there's a reason for those behaviors, right? So I, I fully understand and recognize that. But let's just say the biggest thing about this study is low intensity, right? It doesn't have to be dripping in sweat. Um, and it's 10 minutes. Now, that's realistic for the parent to maybe do with their child. That's realistic for the individual who maybe had a poor experience in PE or APE or doesn't want to exercise, right? Or for the trainer, let's say the novice exercise professional. Hey, if you can just help them to get towards that 10 minutes, you've done your great job. Of course, we want to build on that. But I think that's one of the most powerful studies that I've read in the last number of years, um, but to let parents, professionals, and individuals know 10 minutes, you can start to gain some real benefits from exercise. You don't have to be exercising for 60 straight minutes. Right. And then also just to add into it is it was the two modalities that what they were most interested in is cycling and walking on a treadmill. Like, you know, that was, you know, and that's kind of like my case. I love cardio. That's my favorite. I cycled for 50 minutes this morning. And then, you know, like if I just did resistance training, I feel foggy. But if I did like an elliptical with it, then with the weights, then I don't feel less foggy. So it's kind of weird. But at the same time, it's just I, I hate to say it is what it is. But, you know, the only sad disclaimer I have is that, you know, my case might not be related to the other person that has autism. But at the same time, I always say is that, you know, just move like, you know, try, like every time you feel like you need to get up, like stay up for a period of time or if the phone rings, get up or even the parents is the big advice is, you know, okay, you're standing, you're 
maybe you want to go to the grocery store with them and they're actually behave well behave well maybe park outside the parking lot for like 10 minutes far away spend some time walking in and then at least when you get in the grocery store the behaviors of stereotypical is going to be reduced a good bit because then you're like okay well you got activity and your child's got activity but then you can also have to do that going back so it's like you know a win-win for not just the your child but also with you know you as well great insight david you're going to say something there no, the only thing I did want to mention, too, was that, you know, we were talking about books and stuff, and, and this is more so the credit to ACSM, the American College of Sports Medicine, but my my staff and I, we just wrote the new chapter for the exercise testing and prescription for um, special considerations for neuro, neurodevelopmental disorders. So um, I think this has been, again, like Ben said, if if you would ask me 10 years ago, this is what I would be writing and doing. I would have never, um, never have, could never have predicted this, but now that ACSM, this is going into undergraduates. So they're, they're starting to get right. Some understanding of those with autism. And we, we created a whole case-based learning chapter from some of our clients to let professionals know, like, this is what you may see, right. But that they can be included too, because this is what happens. Some of this, I think some of the gyms or professionals, they're afraid of what they don't know. And I've heard this from families. I've heard this from individuals that they've been turned away. Hey, can we bring our kid here? He's on the spectrum. Uh, we don't have anyone can work with him. So no, right. It, it can't, that's got to stop. So the fact that ACSM and us, we partnered to create the autism exercise specialist certificate and train professionals. But now that this is going into undergraduate textbook is is I think, you know, well, long overdue, but. That's phenomenal. That yeah. is phenomenal. And we even have a uh, program in our department that one of the professors, he's big in disability health is he gets uh, students to work with uh, people with a variety of disabilities, physical, mental, emotional. So, it, you know, it's like I always tell my student, you don't know who's going to come through that door. And if you're going to immediately like throw a flag at someone because of based on certain angle that, oh, well, oh, it's going to be too difficult for me or whatever. Well, that means you're just not you're not a, you're not valued to be a um, practitioner in my case, because then you're just discriminating against someone else. And that's not appropriate, because what if your child ends up with that? Then what are you going to do? Good point. That is a very good point. What you guys are doing is so, so very important because we have to educate all these practitioners and give them some hands-on experience and give them so the knowledge so that they're not afraid of treating somebody who's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So keep up the great work both of you are doing. It's wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. And I always say parents be well-educated and, you know, don't, there's always these, this motto that I always have in my family is don't confuse yourself from asking questions versus arguing. It's always, you know, there's always no such thing as asking questions, like, you know, it's always trying to find the best treatment. And, you know, it was, my mom had to do it on her own. Like my dad was against it and she fought a lot for, you know, for my help. And I'm fortunate that she did for me. And then the weird thing that twisted everyone's family, my family around is that I just got recently diagnosed with 
type one diabetes and I'm 29 years old. <laughs> so then it's like, what the heck? Like, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, I always say is if you see someone with an obsession of something like my is health and technology, you'll be fine. Like my family and everyone's shocked. Even my endocrinologist is like, how in the heck are you doing this? Like, this is unheard of, like than a normal patient. And especially with, you know, a, per, a person with autism, like how in the world I'm like, well, if you find they obsess over something, you know, that's don't bash on it because that might be their key of their successful future. And, and like, Hickey, when you talk about like educating and like I said, I, I never thought I'd be working with ACSM. I never thought I'd be lecturing at universities and I'm truly blessed to be doing it. But sometimes also I get, I think, depending on who's at my lectures, sometimes they get taken aback what I say, because I'm pretty outspoken, but it, it's about helping this community. And, and, and obviously my passion is about exercise, but, you know, I, I say it like it is, but sometimes they're like, I think even earlier when you had stopped me and said something good about, you know, about the Special Olympics, look, I think the Special Olympics is great. I think sports are great, but there's a subset of this community who, who will not be able to play sports. So we have to find an outlet for them. There are incredible, incredible adapted physical education programs in the United States that are truly preparing these professionals Wait, I mean, to work with all disability groups. But the truth is only 14 states require more than um, one three-hour credit course for you to be, or for a professional or a student to be deemed adapted certified. So you got 36 states, they go through undergrad, they leave with a PE degree and they're still certified because they took one course to learn autism, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, and there's there's it makes sense of why these kids aren't getting the physical or getting quality physical education because the students weren't trained properly and it's not their fault right and some professors are saying well it's not i know i know there's the great professors and the great teachers out there but it's not those teachers fault who don't know what to do it's a system problem so where do we i don't know what else to do but to let people know and or to work with ACSM and provide a certificate course that gives them 12 hours education. Like that, this is my way to give back and my way to help promote this exercise because it's so valuable for this community and everyone. Well, I certainly admire everything you're doing. And it's one thing for people to wring their hands that this problem, it's another thing to do what you're doing. And you're both doing, which is real, real actions that bear real results and really make a difference for all of us. So I salute you. Yeah. And we had a talk last uh, weekend in Greenville, David and I. And then when we gave the talk, you know, it was a, at first I was like, oh, my God, it's on the last day. It's going to be terrible. But then when they had a good people turned out, I was like. Holy moly, this is impressive, like 30 plus people on a Saturday morning on the last day. You know, that's pretty impressive. So I think especially this younger generation, it's getting more open of learning, you know, with mental health. And I think, you know, maybe it's going to take this newer generation to finally say, hey, like, 
this is important now. Like you need to stop, you know, like this thing saying, oh, well, like what my father would say, oh, you're too young to be stressed or you're too young to be anxious or this, that. And I'm like, but you never went to go get a PhD or even went to college. So you won't understand a remote thing of what I'm going through at all. <laughs> and, and I appreciate too, you saying, you know, what you did about what I and what Ben and I are doing. And I'm so thankful to be now connected with Ben, but also behind the, behind the scenes, there's not just me. I've had my wife who's helped us with our exercise buddy app. She's a speech therapist. I've had a PT school-based PT. Who's also a mom of a son with autism that helped us design the certificate program with ACSM. And then I've had two or three staff over the years that are special education teachers, former SPED teachers. So that's why I think we're having success is because I have to bring in that multidisciplinary approach so we can help more. And, and I need their perspective, right? As much as I do know, yeah, there's still a ton I don't. I'm able to confidently say that. Um, but when we put all of us together, including Ben, like, yeah, we're starting, I'm just hoping, right, we'll make a bigger impact. Is there anything else we have not covered that you'd like to uh, say? Yeah, there's one more thing that I didn't mention that I think is important. Um, so there's this, there was also another, one of the largest United States autism parent surveys done out of Arizona State by Dr. Jim Adams. Um, and this survey found, now it's, I have it all, it's not, it, it, it's not in publication yet, which I'm hounding him, trust me, all the time. Um, but they, they found that parents rated exercise as a number one treatment for their kids. Wow. Yeah, I think extremely impactful. Um, and I think once this does get published, as, as you guys know, right, as small as the autism community, it's quite large right, or the neurodiverse community. So I always say that at my lectures because whether the schools are going to have to be prepared because once these parents come knocking at the IEP and saying, wait, this found this and you're not giving my kid what IDEA law says, well, they better be ready. And if they're not, that's why I said I partnered with ACSM to say, hey, let's make the, the fitness world ready so they can give these kids and these adults what they what they need. And, and what they should have, just like everyone else. That's great. Building strong alliances. Tell us about the importance of building a routine for these Ooh. individuals. Oh, I could definitely speak for this. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well, I definitely say routines are so important for our community. Uh, well, I could say pretty much like simple question I get asked by a few people is, what's your typical day like? Well, get up, you know, I'm get up around, try and set my alarm for six, six 30, get up, go exercise. That's the first thing I'm going to do right when I wake up. Then I'm going to do is eat my breakfast and clean up. And then either I'm going to teach or catch up on research and then, you know, do my normal like lunch and then catch up on other things. And then I'm back home by 6, 6.30. And then, you know, I always say I'm coming old man in my body as I'm watching the news and then I'm going to bed at nine o'clock. There's nothing wrong with, you know, you're, you hear, oh, I'm 22. I should be going out partying. No, well, 
I'm 29 years old. I go to bed at nine o'clock. There's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, I think, you know, every so often maybe having a, um, you know, deviate of having a little bit of social gatherings, that's fine. But, you know, I find that if you keep your routine going and rhythm going, then you'll be fine. Like, you know, that's the one thing I've noticed with my success is if I keep my routine going, you know, that's how I feel mentally happy because then I feel like, oh, I'm not behind on something or, you know, if, oh, I didn't exercise that day. Well, I, I exercise every day, even if it's like 30 minutes, that's the bare minimum I always set myself. So if you set, you know, like realistic goals for yourself, then it'll help, you know, in the long run. Great. David? Yeah. So I think when teaching exercise to those on the spectrum, uh, one routine is a critical thing that we talk about. But I think what I also remind professionals, parents, uh, or yeah, maybe new exercise professionals or therapists coming into it, just because you may learn or hear something that I've said or, or, or whatnot in regards to creating a structured routine, don't go and change that for the individual that you're working with. Meaning, if you, if you know it, how an individual is, how they're successful, whether it's in speech, OT, ABA, whatever that structure and protocol is, use that because we know they're having success with other professionals. So use, understand that structure, follow that same structure now with the exercises in place or the practices, right? Know the reinforcements, but don't reinvent the wheel just because you may have read something or heard something from us today or whatnot. Find that structure that is that individual successful and continue with that. Because what I also like to remind people when you're in introducing your child, yourselves, or your students or your clients to exercise, it can be quite challenging, right? And, and how many programs, all well-intended, start to promote it as a, have your kid join our fun exercise class. Well, guess what? Exercise isn't fun for most people. If it was, we wouldn't have the obesity epidemic that we do. So, but if you're going to transition your student, your client, or your child, children to exercise, use the structure that you know that they're successful, speech, OT, social skills group. Now use that same structure and exercise. What would you say to someone out there who's autistic and is on the fence about if they can commit to regular exercise? I would tell them or I would tell you that exercise doesn't need to be what you may think it is. Meaning you watch these TV shows, you, you see something um, on, on the internet where the individuals are sweating, they're laying on the ground and they're, they're dripped in sweat and they're exhausted. That's not what exercise needs to be. And quite frankly, in many ways, uh, it shouldn't be. Uh, exercise, and what we know is that even 10 minutes of exercise can, can help you to be sharper, more attuned, whether it's at your job or your hobby or whatever you want to do. So think about that and start to get yourself engaged in exercise. Think of some things that if you always want to exercise, well, what can I do that they're fun? Like, you know, you don't have to get on a treadmill. You don't have to get on a bike. You don't have to do an elliptical. But maybe see, like, you know, what things you like to do. Do you maybe like going walking in a park to see all the ducks? Or, you know, maybe do you want to just uh, do, uh, you know, weights for a little bit or something like that? Essentially, that's what's going to keep you coming back 
to the gym. It's not about, you know, swaying, like, you know, we're going to lose weight. It's about, you know, making you mentally sharp, better, and essentially happier and successful. Well, David Geslack and Benjamin Bedreau, it's been such a pleasure to have you. We hope you'll come back again soon. Keep up all the great work you're doing for those of us with different brains. Thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. Thank, Thank you, Ben Hackey. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.